0: In the name of Jesus. There's a bookcase in our house where one shelf is about half full of nothing but children's Bibles that we've collected over the years or that our kids have have gotten as gifts. And sometimes when we're doing our family devotions, we just let the kids wander over and pick whichever one they want because it doesn't really make a difference, right? They're all pretty much the same and I know that generally speaking, each one has been edited and, and rewritten to be high interest and and accessible and and family-friendly. And when we read about Jesus from these books, I kind of know what we're going to get. We're going to get Jesus telling parables and healing diseases and gathering the children up into his arms, smiling at them, beaming at them, and laughing with them. And this is definitely a side of Jesus that I want my kids to see. But imagine if your kids wandered over the shelf, and instead of pulling off a children's Bible, they pulled off a regular Bible. And imagine that the Bible was illustrated in the manner that children's Bibles are, where every detail is drawn and painted out in vivid color. And your kids come over and they open up the book to a random page and they land in the book of Exodus, the Ten Plagues. What are they going to see? Well, they're going to see dehydrated people crying out for relief because all their water has been turned into blood. They're going to see people covered their whole bodies in boils so much so that they can't even sit down without screaming out in pain. Clouds of, of gnats so thick that they're clogging people's ears and eyes and nostrils and mouths. A hillside covered with the bodies of dead cattle and sheep. And finally, the angel of the Lord coming down, visiting every household of the Egyptians to kill the old son. And then they're going to see a picture of this same Lord who did all of these things, leading his people out of Egypt, where this holy and powerful God continues to show who he is, both to his people who love him and follow him, and also to his enemies. Your kids might have some questions. They may even be terrified to learn that this is the same God that we ask to come join us for dinner. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. And it's the same God that we ask to watch over us as we sleep with that prayer. Guide me safely through the night and wake me with the morning light. I don't know, maybe you have some questions too. How can this be the same God who who appears at times to be so loving and so full of forgiveness and, and at other times so full of wrath and anger and even hatred toward his enemies? And why would anyone want to meet God like that? Why would we want anyone to meet God like that and feel terror? And maybe the question that's on all of your minds right now, why are we talking about this at an Advent service? Well, you know this: Advent means coming. We're preparing for the coming of Jesus, and if we're preparing for Him, we ought to know exactly who He is. Now we can talk about preparing for Christmas, but even using that phrase, it can be a little bit misleading. Outside of this space, Christmas is the season of Christmas, is a very physical time. It's a time for dragging out the decorations and for putting up the lights and wrapping gifts and sending out cards. And these are all great ways to prepare for Christmas, but but in the church we do something different. In the church we prepare to meet Jesus and the way the church has done this for centuries is by bringing you into an encounter with John. Not John the apostle, but John the baptizer. Every Gospel writer includes John. And every time we encounter John in the Gospels, he's pointing to Jesus and he does this in in a way where he brings together Old Testament prophecies and visions of the future and he pulls them together and he holds holds them in front of us and points us to our Lord. And in a way that might catch some people off guard. Because if we're expecting to see the storybook Jesus, the Jesus who does nothing more than teach and heal and laugh and hug children. Yes, Jesus is all of those things, but he's more than that. That doesn't tell us the whole story. When you listen to John, you get the distinct impression that this is a man who has just escaped from a great fire. You can almost smell the smoke on him. You can see the, the singed hair of his beard. His eyes are wild. They're filled with visions of destruction destruction. And flames, but this isn't a fire that he's escaped from. This isn't a fire from the past, this is a fire that's still coming. It's a raging of almighty wrath upon our world, refining the righteous, destroying the wicked. As he said, the axe is already at the root of the trees, his winnowing fork is already in his hand, and he's going to clear his threshing floor and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This vision has left its impression on John. That's why you won't find him in king's palaces or wearing fine clothes or eating fancy dinners because what he has seen causes him to see everything else differently. And so he's out in the wilderness and from there he calls for you to come. He speaks of the future, but his clothing is of the past. He wears animal skins like Elijah. He's dressed like one of these prophets of old who have come in from the wilderness after seeing God, and John knows this is the God who can touch the top of a mountain and cause it to burst into flame. This is the God who sustained his people in the wilderness for 40 years with bread that fell from heaven. But his enemies encountered that power very differently. His enemies he, he, encountered, he annihilated in a second when the waters of the Red Sea crashed over the Egyptian army. But it wasn't just rebels of enemy nations that God annihilated. Rebels of his own people. Once he sent venomous snakes and once he sent a consuming fire and once he even caused the ground to open up beneath their feet. This God is anything but tame and approachable and gentle and sentimental. We don't see him embracing children. And when he laughs, it's in derision over the destruction of his foes. You won't see this in a typical children's Bible. This is who John wants you to see. He tells us to prepare for the coming of this God, to turn away from our sin and to prepare for Jesus. And notice that it's not prepare for Christmas. Prepare for Jesus. And there's actually a big difference between those two things. It's like the difference between preparing for a day and preparing for a person. In comparison, it's kind of easy to be prepared for a day. To get your house all cleaned up and get the decorations ready and get the food prepared to clear your schedule for 24 hours because, you know, at the end of that 24 hours, things can go back to normal. But Jesus doesn't come for a day and then leave. When Jesus comes, he comes to stay and he comes to invite us into his kingdom and to use us in his plan to save people from this fallen world. And when Jesus comes, our whole lives change. Our moral messiness Our distracted busyness, our broken relationships, all these things, they have to change and change for good. And John tells us why. And if you think about how strange of a prophet John was with his wild hair and his clothing and his terrifying words, you might expect him to reassure people that the one coming after him would be a little more conventional. A little more civilized, a little easier to take. But how does John describe him? He says, After me will come one more powerful than I, not more gentle, not more understanding, not more tolerant, more powerful. John baptized with water. This one will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And if you think John's message was meant to strike terror into people's hearts, well, it's really nothing compared to the terror and the wonder of the power of Jesus that we see in the Gospel of Luke. And even if you can find that to only the next chapter, if you just look at Luke chapter 4, all the the terrible, the terrifying and amazing things that we see there, Jesus faces down Satan in the wilderness as Satan tries to tempt him to sin. And Jesus put up with him only as long as he chose to. Sometimes we miss this little detail at the end that Jesus said, away from me, Satan, and the very next verse is, and Satan left him. Satan couldn't stay any longer than Jesus permitted him to stay. Later, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and this loud voice screaming at the top of his lungs, but it wasn't a human voice, it was an evil spirit. And Jesus commanded the spirit to come out and it had no choice but to do exactly what he said and the people were amazed. They started asking, who is this guy? And we see this over and over in the Gospels. We see it when Whenever Jesus shows just a little bit, a tiny glimpse of his power, and the people start asking, who is this? And they have this very natural reaction to any sinner when they come into an encounter with divine power. It's pure terror. But that's not where John leaves us. John doesn't just give us the terror, he also gives us the wonder because this power doesn't do what you'd expect it to do. And just as quickly as Jesus appeared with power over nature and demons and and sin and death and the devil, just as quickly his power disappears in weakness. Betrayed by one of his own, tortured and abused by Roman soldiers, hung on a cross to die. And if the disciples at that point expected some amazing display of his power, well, then they were disappointed because what they got was a dead man on a tree. And they're abandoned by his disciples and by his people and by his own God. This one, stronger than John, died. And the terrible wonder of it is that he died for what we've done. For our moral messiness, for our distracted busyness, for our broken relationships, for sins that we have chosen and sins that we fail to resist, we have broken the body of Jesus. And here at the cross, the power of God is made known in weakness. He's the only one who was strong enough to endure our eternal damnation for sin and he bears the wrath and the anger and the fury of God and he leaves us with this promise. I forgive you all your sins. This one who suffered the punishment of sin rose and now rules over all things for us until that day when he will return and bring about a new creation. And so as we prepare for Christmas, with plans for travel and plans for food and plans for gifts. These are all good things, but don't forget about John. Because John continually points us to Jesus. He he tells us to prepare not for a day, but for a person, not for a season, but for eternity. John prepares us to meet Jesus. And there's just one more wonder. The wonder that Jesus has been preparing for us, too. Before the creation of the world, Jesus prepared a plan for how to rescue us from our sin. And when the time was right, he tore open heaven and came into this world to live and to die and to rise and now to rule. And, and then he did it again when he burst into our lives. He washed us with water. He baptized us with the Holy Spirit. And he has made promise after promise that this means he is coming back for us. And we know that those promises are trustworthy because through his word, he has shown us who he is and what he does. He declares war on the devil. He declares his authority over sin and Satan and disease and even death. He is wild and he's strange and he's mighty and he's awesome. And just when we feel that we need his power the most, he can disappear in weakness leaving us feel as if we've been completely abandoned, and yet he is present in his word. And there he tells us to wait and to hope and to trust, to trust in this crucified, this one who once was dead and will soon return in glory. And this is what Jesus has shown us, that in his Weakness, there is power, and in his promises, there is fulfillment, and in his death, there is life. Life and love. Love so much that he even sacrificed himself and faced down death so that we would never have to. And if you're still wondering, how can this be the same God? How can he be at times so full of love and forgiveness, and at other times appear to be so full of wrath and anger and fury and even hate? Well, you can see pretty clearly that John didn't see a problem with this. He didn't have a problem seeing both of these sides of Jesus at once. That's because God cannot be indifferent to the things that threaten the ones that he loves. And he loves you. And the sacrifice of Jesus shows that there is nothing that he will not do to bring you to himself. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of the one who tries to stand in his way. And if this encounter, if this vision has filled you with, with fear and with love and with terror and with wonder, then John has done for you what he intended. He's shown you Jesus. And this is what Advent is for, to prepare us for him. In his name, amen.